nice to be back with you. Uh, it was a long trip. Uh, Sony did like two different conferences. I just did one, uh, but it was in the UK. And uh, uh, I uh, sent them your blessings. Thank you for praying for us while we were away. I think it always pays uh, dividends. Uh, I'll tell you a few stories in a, in a second, but let's kind of, let's get our juices flowing. Uh, let's get on. So uh, why don't you uh, turn to uh, somebody next to you and in your best coach's voice, say, finish strong, finish strong. Yeah. Tortoise and hare, people, because it ain't how you start, it's how you finish. Am I right? Am I right? Amen. Tortoise in the air and other great biblical uh, stories like that. Uh, in that spirit, uh, let's do our warm-up question today and make sure uh, your brain juices are flowing, because I've been gone for a while, and I know that your brains tend to atrophy when I'm gone. Uh, nobody, you know, provokes you quite enough, I feel like. Uh, so the question is, what helps you stick with it in life? In life generally, or in kingdom life, what, what helps you stick with it? Where does your stick to come from? I'll give you eight seconds to be brilliant. Go. Oh, Dave already has one. When you do something with somebody else. Something with somebody else. Strength in numbers, right? You, get, you need a, everybody needs a posse. You need a wingman. That's what I'm talking about. All right, what else? What helps you stick with it? Yeah, Beth. When you break it down to little tasks, one, one step at a time, right? You don't think about, uh, you know, what happens when you're 96. You just think about what happens today. You don't think about the big job. You think about the little jobs that are going to get you. You guys are smart. Good answers. There was, yeah, Robin. Believing that it's worth it, right? The sort of faith that specifically is believing that is worth it, you know, faith... Um, has all sorts of flavors. And one thing that we need to remind ourselves a lot is that it's worth it. It's going to be worth it in the end, ultimately. Uh, that big faith. Yeah. Oh, we, who, who? Okay, ladies first. Ladies first. Because um, life without Jesus sucks. Life without Jesus sucks. So what helps you stick with it is that there really isn't a great alternative. Yeah, that reminds me of like, um, the interaction that uh, Jesus' disciples had with him after he gave a particularly challenging sermon. And Peter said, well, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. It's like, if there were a better rabbi, we'd find him. Uh, but you're the best thing going, which is maybe not the best lyrics for a praise song, but <laughs> there are some days, some Mondays when that's all you got. Yeah, and discipline and commitment, just old-fashioned discipline and commitment, which is a habit. It's a virtue that you develop. You get stronger with practice. And you'll... Understanding your why, right? So this is uh, it's a great phrase that circulates a lot in, in kind of like business literature and stuff like that. Understanding your why. Unpack that a little bit. I know you can. Understanding your why. That's W-H-Y. Finding purpose and everything, understanding exactly what your purpose is, not just what you have to do, but what your purpose is in doing it, where it leads, what it's for, that sort of thing. Yeah, great. It's like, uh, oh, yeah. Having like, a nice laugh with someone. Having a nice laugh with someone. This is, this is an answer from a different direction, right? Which is, 
Uh, it's like, that's almost like a remember the Sabbath and keep it holy sort of observation. It's like, well, one of the things that keeps you going is that you decompress. And one of the best ways to decompress, to rest, is just to laugh with someone, right? Which, like, you could unpack that answer all day long. There's a lot of richness in it. Anna, in the, is that Anna? Yeah. Good stories and examples from people who are ahead of me, right? It's nice to have models, right? Let's know that, well, uh, I'm not crazy because so-and-so did it, and uh, I know it can be done. I know there's a way. All those things are super, super helpful. June, last answer. It's going to be the most brilliant because, you know, it's June. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. That's a loaded phrase. So, so... For, for people who aren't, you know, hip like me and you, June, uh, why don't you explain what that means, to stay in your lane? When I talk of that, I think, you know, you need to know what someone do, do what you're called to do, right? Because there are lots of things to do in life. And kind of know what you're about, what God designed you to do, what your job is. And, uh, and that uh, we always say that chaos is a matter of vagueness, delay, and distraction. But if you know what it is you're supposed to do, then you're not vague. Uh, you know what you're supposed to do every day. You're not going to get distracted by all those other good things uh, that you could do. All great answers. This is why you guys are such mature Christians and why when I travel the world, I just brag about you. Right? Here, I insult you. But there, I brag about you. Um, it was a great trip. Sonia, Sonia is sick um, today. You, you often catch things when you travel. Um, so she's home. Maybe she can share some of her stories in future weeks. Um, but she and I were together in the UK. Uh, we went to Nottingham and did a big conference there for uh, the National Association of Vineyard Churches in Britain. There were like, I don't know, there were like 150 churches represented or something like that. And uh, when I get invited to these places, uh, invariably, um, I, I get invited to, uh, you know, to, I mean, to teach something, but also to kind of manifest some of the supernatural kingdom ministries that um, we uh, try to focus on and be honest with uh, here at, at Blue Water. So, you know, at the end of every teaching, every seminar that I do, we always uh, just minister over the crowd, invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and maybe minister some healing or some deliverance, or um, occasionally I do some prophetic ministry. More, more there than I ever do here, because um, I got people here uh, who do it. Um, so uh, I was praying over uh, the crowd after uh, one teaching, and uh, like roughly a thousand people or something. And so you can't just like pray for everyone, right? So you just kind of pray, um, like we often do at healing services. Stand up if you've got something uh, that, you know, if it were healed, you would know. And I just bless you in Jesus' name. Maybe those of you around could lay a hand on that person's shoulder and just speak a blessing to them. And then you wait 30 seconds and then you check. <laughs> uh, so not, not very fancy. It's just very much crowd ministry. And then we just kind of stand back and listen to testimonies from the crowd and just saw just dozens and dozens of really cool healings. Um, I was... Uh, uh, the first part of the week, I was listening to testimonies. Oh, yeah, my frozen shoulder just popped free. I haven't been able to move in in eight years. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, my sciatica went away or my arthritis vanished. And uh, there's just all sorts of little healings like that. And then this, this uh, young man walked up and said, you know, I can hear. You know, it's like I was completely deaf uh, on one side and had some problems on the other. And my ear just popped. I can hear uh, perfectly. 
uh, for uh, how many years it was, I, I forget. So deaf ear healed, it took 30 seconds, so that was cool. Um, and uh, full of faith, I said, what? <laughs> he was really cool, he was like, yeah, uh, I can hear, my deaf ear is no longer deaf. So, like, he wasn't pumping his fist or anything, but that was cool. Uh, there was another lady there, she was uh, um, African, and um, she had uh, vision problems. You know, it was very myopic, very short-sighted, and she said, well, I can see, you know, like, like her, her eyes kind of reshaped, and she could see far away, uh, so that was really cool. There's a little Filipina lady there who had, I think it was broken her ankle and dislocated her some years before, and had kind of frozen incorrectly, and and she couldn't really walk on it. It was no longer aligned properly. And in one of those just random uh, ministry times, uh, her ankle uh, was healed and she just started weeping. She could walk for the first time. I think it was seven years. Uh, she could walk properly uh, really quickly. Those, I, I love those stories because like, you know, you'd spend two minutes on the ministry and like lives were permanently and quickly changed. Amen. Uh, and so that's fun. Um, and of course, everybody's faith goes up then, you know, yeah. and then the payoff is everybody wants to participate with you, you know. Uh, sometimes I think the main thing that I do is just remind people that we have a living God in an active kingdom, yeah. you know, and I just go in there with a bunch of try <laughs> and stick to and kind of bull my way through the moments and then pretty soon, uh, the kingdom is happening. And people are having directly encounters, direct encounters uh, with, with the living God. Uh, you know, and the healings are great and stuff like that. But then when you say, you know, who, who wants prayer to be filled with the Spirit? Then, you know, we had like, you know, 200 people, 125 kind of rushed the stage. And, uh, and so that, that's the sort of thing that will change a country, you know. And so that feels like a, a big privilege. Um, I did uh, a peculiar number of deliverances uh, while I was at this conference. Um, made me think, like, yeah, I probably should do like a deliverance workshop around Blue Water. It's been a long time since we've done that. But everybody uh, kind of knows the gist. If somebody starts manifesting a growly demon, seizes up and talks to you in a weird voice and stuff like that, then you cast it out. There, you're trained. Um, um, but sometimes demons are cantankerous. So it'd be at the end of the ministry times, after we've already been ministering for an hour, like somebody would be stuck and writhing on the floor, which if you've never seen it, like, you know, is, is not as freaky as you think it is. Um, so, well, <laughs> thanks for your help, cat. Normalize, normalize. Uh, but so I, 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 uh, I, I walked over to uh, this little ministry time and this... Uh, lovely young woman was uh, manifesting quite aggressively and, and they were stuck, you know, they'd been at it for a long time, everybody was exhausted, the poor deer was just all sweaty and, right, just being beaten up physically, sort of. Uh, so, you know, I've done this a lot, so I was just, uh, um, had, her, had her look at me and then just sort of let her out of it. It wasn't hard, just like, you know, I bless your faith, your faith, and because I felt like my job was to sort of speak life into her faith. And she, I mean, I don't know, it took like a minute. And then the thing just left, her body was sort of relieved. Uh, it turned out that she had been uh, deeply and persistently abused as a, as a girl, uh, sort of physically and sexually abused. And 
while she had gotten some counseling and some healing from that, she had suffered these gnarly symptoms for the rest of her life. Uh, one of which was she had violent nightmares every single night and so did not sleep well. And uh, she came back uh, uh, the next, no, maybe it was two nights later, three nights later, I forget exactly, and said that was the first night in my life where I did not have a violent nightmare. Uh, which doesn't sound like much, maybe. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I love about deliverance ministry is that it can bring kingdom peace and order really quickly. Amen. Right? And then she still had to, to walk it out. We did some healing of her body after that, and I think she got some relief there, too, because she had been sort of hurt in her, you know, feminine areas, as you might imagine. Um, and so, you know, life changed and relieved. When I go, I... Uh, I always start my talks by doing a little talk story, and I just share stories from Blue Water, you know, because I figure that's the best way to say, here's a blessing from my church to you. Here are some testimonies. And they never mind. They're always yours. We had a little testimony night at our Ohana group. Uh, it was like the eve before I left, and they're just such good stories that week. So I shared about uh, some, uh, like, street healings that Butler had done and a cool prayer story with uh, one of the... Uh, trafficking survivors that Vern could tell she was at the Ohana group and I just share those stories so you guys are seeding this uh, around the world and and I thank you uh, I thank you for that Uh, one of the cool things about this trip is that uh, you know you guys probably don't chart follow church history a lot but uh, the, the vineyard movement is a, is a specific movement of churches that came out of the Jesus Revolution in the 70s and 80s. There's a movie about that now. So it was Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard were the two big groups that came out of that. And the Vineyard went to the UK 40 years ago, almost exactly. And at this conference, which was the 40th anniversary of this spread of renewal in, in the UK, um, the, the team from the, the Los Angeles kids that went to the UK 40 years ago to spread this movement, to spread the revival, uh, like about 20 of them came to this conference. They're not kids anymore, right? They're all older than I am, but I was able to talk with these figures. Um, um, these are figures like might appear in that movie or, um, or at least knew those guys and might appear in books that you read. And it was interesting for me to talk to them because some of them are doing great and a lot of them were like, it was great back then and then it got really hard and this is the first thing I've tried to do in decades and I'm listening to your stories. I'm listening to Blue Water stories and I feel life again, right? So these are people who literally started a revival or used to start it, right? Telling us, it's like those stories restore me. Right. Sticking with it is hard. You know, we were able to pray for them. They were able to pray for us. Sonia, I bet you will tell stories about those prayer times. Uh, they were really awesome. We saw the Holy Spirit showed up in some powerful prophetic moments and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people want salvation. A lot of people want to experience the kingdom of heaven on earth in ways that are powerful and joyous. Um, fewer people produce in the kingdom lifelong. It's hard to do it over decades. It's hard. And many people just fall away. Many people don't, don't make it. And uh, I don't know much. I'm not a very good Christian. 
but one thing I'm really good at, maybe the only thing in life I feel like I'm really good at is sticking with stuff. Yeah. I just keep going. Amen. And I'm, I, I might be one of the world's leading authorities <laughs> on what it takes to keep going no matter what, right? So there's, there's a weird sort of boast. Which is what I'm saying there is like, even though I'm not really, really successful, uh, I'm successful at keeping at it. And I, as I have gotten older, I've just realized how important that is. I'm really good at keeping going, no matter uh, if there's fatigue, failure, injury, trauma, disappointment, discouragement, heartbreak, embarrassment, or just time. You know, just the grinding of time. And I just like to really bless all of you. You're already blessing the world. You're already seeding faith around the world. You really are. Um, and I would just really covet that you be able to stick with it over the next 40 years. You know, and be able to say, you know, I haven't fallen out of step and I'm still at it. And here's some food for you if you're hungry. Here's some faith food for you. So we're doing this sermon series on how to finish well. Uh, I kind of softly started the sermon series before I went on the trip. And then uh, some other people gave sermons while I was gone, you know, like Connor was one of them. So I'm sure it was really forgettable and stuff. <laughs> he deserves a pie in the face way more than I do. Um, no, they were great, actually. I got them on YouTube. Um, but now I just want to start uh, the sermon series in, in earnest and really get us thinking about what it takes to finish well, which might be really interesting to you if you're like middle-aged, if you are, no, excuse me, mature, mature, uh, and maybe less interesting to you if you're just a punk kid. Um, uh, but Jesus seemed to think it was a really, really important topic. So all throughout the, the, the Gospels, Jesus would sort of interrupt the normal flow of his teaching to give a teaching on what it takes to stick with it, what it takes to finish well. And a lot of these teachings are, are famous, like the parable of the, so, the soil or the parable of the sowers. It's like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's freely available. It's like some dude just scattering seed. Somebody else preached and screwed up my head mic and doesn't fit my ear anymore. Who was that? Connor. Yeah, it's always Connor's fault. Um, so the kingdom is freely available and you know, and it uh, means you're going to sprout up, but, you know, the sun's going to hit you, and so the plant withers. Or the thorns are going to grow up and choke you out, and the plant's going to die. Or the birds are going to come and steal away the seed, and so it's not going to grow. So, you know, it's fairly easy to get access to the kingdom, fairly difficult to stick with it over time. Yeah. Right? One of the most famous parables, oh, be good soil, produce endless crops. That's how that parable uh, ends. Um, uh, he tells uh, more than one parable about building things halfway, right? The half-built tower. It's like, don't be like some fool who's going to build a tower, but discovers halfway through that he only has resources to finish half of it, right? Which some people read as be very conservative about building things. No, no. What that means is be certain you have to go all in if you're going to make it. That's what that parable means. Or like a king who goes to war. What king goes to war without knowing if he has enough troops to, to win the day? So get your game on, you know, and, and make sure that you're not doing things uh, halfway or, you know, pardon the, the language, like half-assed. At Blue Otter, we don't want to be half-assed. We want to be 
full ast. There you go. There you go. I'll write that down. In the Greek, it sounds a lot better than that. A lot better. Um, but we've preached that sermon before, as you can tell. Uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats. You know, it's about the judgment at the end. In that parable, this group of people come to the Lord at the, on Judgment Day and say, Lord, did we not do miracles in your name and, you know, preach in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, right? Like, you have to stay in relationship and stuff like that. And it's, that's a really scary parable. It's easier to start a marathon than it is to finish a marathon, right? And so Jesus just wants to make really, really clear, I'm, I'm, I'm creating marathoners. I'm creating heroes of faith that will last across decades. And uh, I want you all to understand that. So in my last sermon before I left on the trip, we just took a look at the question, how do you know what to do with your life? How do you know what it is that you should be sticking with? How do you know what your lane is? How do you know what your why is? Uh, how do you figure that out? And we actually talk about that quite a bit at Blue Water. But if Jesus is any model, and we went through some of the Jesus stories surrounding Easter, uh, Jesus figured out who he was and what he was to do just by reading scripture, right? Like if people challenged him, how do you know what to do? And his response always was, well, I'm doing what the scriptures say, that the scripture might be fulfilled, the son of man should dot, dot, dot. And we know from the stories that he also checked in with, uh, with God the Father, the Holy Spirit daily for guidance. So it's some combination of just obvious, really clear scriptural advice, commandments, callings that we all share. They're right there, clear and black and white. And then cultivating an ability to let the Holy Spirit guide you daily, kind of fine tune, right? The, the real time here and now voice of God. And you have to learn to have that supernatural conversation with God. You don't want to be merely scriptural and you don't want to be merely mystical. You have to be both. And what you do is not magic, like Jesus, you just kind of figure it out. Every human is obligated to just kind of figure out what he or she should be about in life. And if you have not figured it out, just putting stuff together, a little here, a little there, figuring it out, if you haven't done that, you're not going to make it very far. You're not going to last. You're going to be a sitting duck. right? And it's going to be really easy to knock you out of your lane. And then you're going to caroam around and get in trouble. So that was sermon number one. And today I just want to make some brief points about uh, general things that it takes to finish better than you started, to really sustain and finish better. So this sort of sets up the rest of the sermon series. Okay, uh, number one, I want, to, I want to define what is meant by finishing well, finishing well in life. And you will have finished well in life if two things are true. Number one, you make it into eternity. Because if you make it into eternity, that kind of solves everything else. Because you're going to have an infinite amount of time to work out your kinks. So you got to make it. So turn to somebody and say, you're going to make it. Gotta make it. Gotta make it. Or, depending on who's sitting next to you, even you are gonna make it. You could try that. You try that. You know, it's like pull them in, pull them in. You know, minister at the heart level. That's great. Um, so you gotta you gotta get in right um, and try not to disqualify yourself. That's a very 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 big deal. 
that doesn't necessarily determine what you do every day, but it certainly determines. Um, uh, it, that's a big why right there. You know, Jesus said, uh, God so loved the world, let he set his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? The point of Jesus coming, the whole point was to get you to live forever. That's the point, right? It's not even so much to free you from sin, per se, it's to free you from death. Christianity 101, and somehow people don't preach that as much as they, they should. So that's, that's one bit. Uh, but also, when you get into, ter- into eternity, it's going to be great if you have a lot of treasure there. And Jesus would speak about this fairly directly and fairly often. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where, where uh, rust and moth do not destroy, right? Don't amass treasures on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, which begs the question, how? How, right? how do you store up treasures in heaven? Because that is the ultimate 401k. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate pension program. What you want to do is to get into eternity with eternal treasures. You know, whatever wealth is in heaven, you want to have it. Um, and uh, so you want to do, do things constantly that constantly invest in eternal future, right? Not just retirement on earth future. So, right, are you doing that? Um, so what have you done this week to make you rich in heaven, right? You might not have done anything this week to make you very rich on earth either. <laughs> uh, but, right, that's, that's the lesser priority. What have you done to make you rich uh, in heaven? And, and figure that out. So, you know, we'll unpack that a little bit as the sermon series progresses. But the point is to get to eternity and have wealth there. Eternal wealth. Interesting concept. Jesus concept. Something to meditate on and to figure out. That's one. And then uh, the second question is the money question. How do you do it? How do you finish well? Like, how do you get to eternity and how do you store up wealth? Um, And, you know... The first part is going to be figuring out what you should be doing, what your lane is, what your calling is, and stuff like that. And then the stick to it part. And what does sticking with the kingdom mean practically? What it means practically is that you should minister without ceasing in this life. That's really what it boils down to. And I just wanted to make that clear up front. When I talk about sticking with it in the kingdom of heaven on earth, what I'm talking about is ministering every day of your life, pretty much. You know, every week of your life, ministering. What does ministering mean? It means influencing people toward Jesus. Right? Even the Old Testament says, he who wins souls is wise. Jesus tells lots of parables about this. Use your money to win friends in heaven. That's actually a parable, parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, You know, should you use your money to buy friends? What better to use money on than making eternal relationships? You know, this, these are clever little Jesus teachings. Whatever you have should be used to get people closer to Jesus and gathering them into eternity, into, into God's e- eternal family. Minister without ceasing. You guys are ministers. Jesus made clear that the kingdom of heaven on earth is participatory, right? It's not about what you believe. It's about 
what you do with what you believe, which is why at Blue Water we say faith means trying, right? You have to try kingdom stuff. And if you try kingdom stuff every day, then you'll stick with it. If you stop trying kingdom stuff, if you stop ministering, your faith will not last in this world. It will die. So it's just like physical fitness. If you work the muscle, the muscle is alive, it grows, it stays strong. If you don't work the muscle, it goes the other direction. And pretty soon you can't get out of bed in the morning. Spiritual muscle works the same way. And the way you exercise spiritual muscle is that you bless people. You serve people around you. Uh, one really uh, famous verse in this regard uh, comes from 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. I bet a lot of you have this memorized. And this is uh, from the, the final letter, at least that we have, from Paul to his protege, Timothy. It's a lovely relationship, kind of like a father to son. Uh, Paul uh, helped bring Timothy into the kingdom and then raised Timothy up in ministry. Uh, and at this point, Paul is... is in prison, and you know he's, he's about to be killed, essentially. He sees the writing on the wall. So Paul's life is getting toward its end. He says uh, in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Right? He knows that the, the axe is about to fall, which literally is how he was killed. He got beheaded. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, who have longed for, literally that means long suffered for, uh, his, his appearing. And this is a very typical analogy from Paul the Apostle. When he reflects on what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven on earth, he very typically uh, compares it to an athletic event. Uh, to, to a race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Uh, and that's the mentality he wants to give to Timothy and indeed to all of his disciples. This is a race that you run. And of course, a race has a start, right? It has a middle. But the most important bit of the race is the finish. Do you finish well, right? Do you, do you finish well? Do you cross the line in good shape and in good place? It is clear through the teachings of Jesus, to the teachings of Paul, and to those of us who have walked the kingdom life on planet Earth for some decades now, that the kingdom of heaven is not an experience you have. It is a race that you complete. And I just want to make sure that everybody has that in your mind, whether you're young or old. It is not an experience you have. If you think it's an experience you have, then you can help start a revival and then just have it all go away. And you don't know what happened. Where's the experience? Where's the experience? And then you look around for somebody who is manifesting the experience. And you go there. Ah, the experience is back. But if you see it as a race, then every day you're pressing forward. You are the experience, right? You are generating it around you wherever you go. You have to see it as a race. You have to see it as a race. Anybody ever done like a marathon or a long race? Let's 5K, you know, something like that. Um, if you stop in the middle, it's so hard to keep going, right? Uh, it's so hard to keep going. Um, you want to find the rhythm. You want to keep pressing. 
it's easy to drop out um, halfway through. Um, but then, you know, then you don't, you don't finish. Um, again, comparing it to physical fitness. Uh, if you stop exercising, uh, it's a lot harder to get fit again than it is to just keep fit, right? And the older you get, the more true that is. Come on, somebody give me an amen. Amen. Uh, so, uh, so you have to bounce. If you fall out, you have to bounce up quickly in life. But that's a different, that's a different sermon. All right, so there is an implicit kingdom rule here that might be really obvious to you Blue Water veterans, but which I want everybody to be clear on. The kingdom of heaven on earth is an all play. Everybody ministers always. It's an all play. Um, that, that phrase, I think, came into popular nomenclature through a game called Trivial Pursuit. Right? Am I right? It's like Trivial Pursuit is a game where like, you pick a card, you get a question from a certain topic, and if it's a, just a trivia question, and if you answer it correctly, then your piece gets to advance. Um, but there are some cards that are all play cards, which whoever answers the question first, you know, gets the, gets the advance on. So this is an all play. This is a, the kingdom of heaven is an all play. Is it a competitive all play? Actually, the apostle Paul says, spur one another on in the doing of good deeds. Uh, in Greek, sometimes people translate it, compete with one another in the doing of good deeds to keep yourselves sharp, right? You know, friendly competition, inspiration, maybe we should say, instead of competition. But there's that athletic attitude you know, that Paul loves so much. Paul, probably not an athlete. In church history, he was described as bald, bow-legged, and incredibly short. <laughs> and in that day and age, to be incredibly short would have been like really short, right? It's like common height was something like, you know, 5'2 or 5'4 or something. So he's a little tiny guy, but with this massive athletic spirit, uh, you know. So the kingdom of heaven is an all play. Serve or die. Serve or die. Um, you have to jump in. Don't just learn. Don't just study. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. It's what you're trying and working the muscle for decades uh, at a time. That's what it takes. Hence, we are sending our youth off to the Philippines. Right? Because no matter what age you are, you could be in the cakey program back there. You are doing ministry. That is one of the values we have at Blue Water because that's what Jesus taught us. It's like everybody participates in blessing everybody. Everybody hears from God. Everybody prays for healing. Everybody shares a testimony. Everybody shares a teaching. Everybody gives. Everybody shoulders the burdens. Everybody plays. Otherwise, you don't last. Otherwise, you don't last. Right? You, fall, you fall away. So we're sending our kids off uh, to do ministry. They've been practicing for years, uh, some of them anyway. Actually, I have a friend who works for Fuller Seminary um, who is uh, one of the most leading experts on this. Uh, she studied uh, what makes kids fall away from faith when they go to college. 75% of Christian kids lose their faith in college. 75%. That tells you what college is like and what the state of the world is like. It is rancid. It is rancid. But it also tells you something about what the church is like, because that 
And we should be ready when we send our kids off you know, to college or work or military, wherever it is that we send them off to. And she says, well, the thing that makes kids last is did they have a practical ministry experience with adults that were not their parents? And if they did, they keep their faith lifelong. If they didn't, they don't. Right? So are kids ministering with aunties and uncles? Are kids doing practical ministry with their aunties and uncles? It means that their faith lives. And Jesus would have you know, indicated that, right? Because the kingdom is participatory. And we should be teaching sustenance and the ability to push through. We shouldn't be spoon-feeding and then just assuming that it's going to work. Right? They have to work the muscle. They have to have the muscle to walk uh, when they leave home. Uh, that's the idea. So in the upcoming weeks, um, you know, we're going to break it down specifically and looking at specific questions on what it takes to really live this life. Uh, not just believe, but to live the life. We're going to talk about some realistic and specific ways for you to keep ministering. If you're like, how do I serve exactly? In what ways should I do it in order to keep going? So we're going to look at some realistic, by which I mean, you know, no matter what your life situation is, and specific, meaning like something you could really hang your hat on, ways for you to keep ministering. Turn to somebody next to you and say, he's talking about you. We're going to talk about a way of relationships uh, that keep you thriving long term because it's easier to hang in if you've got homies, if you've got a posse with you, if you've got wingmen, right? Um, what is the way of relating that makes that work? Here's why I say this. I've had more relationships, Christian relationships, ministry relationships than probably anybody in this room. And I've lost way more of those relationships than anybody in this room. And it's the losing, right? It's the trauma. It's the, you know, the abandonment, the rejection, the betrayal, all that stuff that goes with that, that knocks people out. So what's a way of doing that that kind of makes you impervious and enduring? We're going to talk about that. Uh, and that's just ministry relationships. Of course, there are life relationships. There are family relationships. And if they break, it very often knocks us out of orbit. How do you get through that, though, in a way that helps you endure and keep going on the important stuff? Great question. Great question, Jordan. Uh, we're going to talk about how to age in faith. I'm not aging yet, um, but, but, you know, things change when you get older. You know, some, some of you know that. I mean, again, not me, but, you know, Kat knows. Uh, you know, so I'll be asking her. Um, but, you know, what difference does age make? What's the difference between old Christians and young Christians? What should be the difference? Because I think there should be a difference. I think time is, is a gift in some ways. Um, how do you do persistent prayer in a way that won't kill you? Uh, there are things that I prayed. There are things that I prayed for for 50 straight years only to fail. Um, and there are things I pray for for 30 seconds and I see a great miracle. All right, how do you manage that life? How do you manage that? I have some practical tips. Can't wait to hear them, Jordan. Yep, can't wait to hear them, how to pray persistently in a way that doesn't kill you. That's what that sermon will be called or something like it. Uh, and what to realistically expect from God throughout the course of your life. 
right? And this has to do with fulfilled dreams and stuff like that. What to realistically expect from God or how does God help you metabolize uh, life? Because I've got a lot to say about life uh, because truth be told, I'm actually older than Kat. That's right. Chronologically. <laughs> uh, final word, and then we're going to go throw pies in Quark's face. Um, <laughs> Um, at this conference, there's a guy, I had not met him, uh, uh, he's a, a missiologist, he's, he studies uh, the intersection between the church and culture. He's a missiologist at, um, well he has been, at, um, uh, in, in Illinois, at Wheaton College, uh, Ed Setzer, you know him? Um, he's the dean there. And uh, so he spoke at this conference, it was fun getting to know him, and uh, so he studied the church and what the, the shutdown sort of the COVID shutdown in our three years of paralysis. What did that mean uh, for the church? And he had a great way of explaining it. He said, in any church, you can break it into thirds. Like, look at this room. There's the people who sit in the front third, and there are people who sit in the middle third, and then there are people in the back third. Um, and he said, here's what happened to churches. Uh, if you were in the front third of the church means you are the people typically at a church. People who sit in the front are the most participatory people. <laughs> Need I say more? Right, they're the people that shout the amen. They're the people that show up early, not just on time, right? They're the people that, that do the chores around the church and they are statistically the people most likely to serve in keiki ministry and in the Ohana groups. Typically, that's how it works at a church. I won't, I won't point fingers at Blue Water because we're special. Uh, but what happened is that the people who sit in the front of the church were actually strengthened during the shutdown. Right? They came out of it spiritually better and more committed to church than ever. And then the people who sit in the middle a third of, of the church gathering, and they were kind of a mixed bag. They probably made it. And he said, this is what happened uh, during COVID in the American church. If you sit in the back third of the church, you didn't make it. You no longer attend church. Or to the degree that you do, your attendance has become spottier than it was. Statistically speaking, again, we're different because, you know, <laughs> different in so many ways. Uh, but in a, in a church building, typically... If you sit in the back of the building, you attend less often than the people who sit in the front, right? So the people who sit in the front come almost 100% of Sundays. The people who sit in back come on average about 20% of Sundays, you know, Easter and Christmas and, and you know, half a dozen times uh, during the year. I, everybody's looking around like with stink eye, you know, saying, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Blue water's weird, you know, island time and stuff like that. So every church in America lost the back third. And uh, the people who sit in the back third are people who are less committed, right? Which means that given more pressure, they are the ones likely to fall off, right? But the people in the front did really, really well. And so that was just an interesting observation. Here's what I think. We had a, a global shock and church attendance around the country is down by, I mean, it, depends, it depends who you listen to, but you know, some people say half. Um, we're going to have, it's going to get harder in the near future, not easier. 
Uh, we're going to have more shocks of a different variety uh, pretty soon. You can, the writing is on the wall. And more spiritual pressure than we've had up to now. The writing is on the wall. It's going to happen. There is no doubt. And so I'm afraid in the church around the world that the people who are not participating are just going to be easy pickings. And we're just going to lose them. You know, and so I give this sermon series in that spirit. Jump in, you know, serve or die, participate or die. Raise up your kids to do the same thing. Bring in your family to do the same thing. This is, this is the vessel of life that's going to get us to eternity and get us into eternal rewards. End of soapbox sermon. Just wanted to say that. I love you guys because you're participating at a way and at a level that makes it easy for me to inspire crowds around the world. And I just want to thank you for being my brothers and sisters in that. Um, it's a privilege to carry that. And there's some responsibility in it that I want to continue to be a light and to be a place of, of gathering. So Father God, I pray that you'd perfect your purposes for all of us. That again, we'd all be changed a little bit before we go. That we could be a blessing for the youth that are going to be a blessing around the globe. That we would raise them up in participatory kingdom life that does not fail them. No matter how many decades they continue on this planet. I pray, Lord, as Jesus taught us to pray, that in this place, let your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our needs Free us from our tangles. Make us forgiving and gracious in a way that brings honor to the name of Jesus. We ask humbly in Christ's name, everybody says, amen. amen.